We are working our way through the, the Bible, and we're in the book of Deuteronomy today. And as we talk about Deuteronomy, we can't yet. Not yet. You see, before you talk about Deuteronomy, you have to talk about how we got Deuteronomy. And I've seen the paintings, the medieval paintings, done by the great masters, where there will be some old gray-headed fellow in medieval clothing, and there's a wooden desk, and as he's writing, there's a light coming from above, like God is just saying, now write these words. And there are times in the Bible where that sort of thing did happen. But there are other books, like Deuteronomy, where the backstory is actually a lot more interesting than that. So you're going to have to imagine. Before we can understand Deuteronomy, we have to go way in the future, to the time of Josiah. To help us do that, I want you to think of our building here. This is a lovely building. It, it really is. It's a, it's a historic place. It is an incredible part of the history of the Churches of Christ. And I pray that it remains an incredible part and a driver of the Churches of Christ for many generations to come. But can you imagine having been here on a day like today, and then a coming leader. And instead of churches in Nashville, and churches, right, Nashville's like six flags over Jesus. It, it, they've got <clears throat> churches everywhere. And maybe your mind doesn't work like that, for which you might want to thank God later. But instead of churches, you see burning piles of rubbish. You see debris. You see pagan altars. You see the bodies of children. That's what you walk by. And then you come to this building, and this building has been stripped of its furniture. Nothing's in here but trash, mounds of trash. And some of the trash is scary. It's idols to, to evil beings. Think of how horrid that would be. That's what was going on at the time of King Josiah. He was one of the two kings that God called good, Hezekiah being the other one. And Josiah comes upon the temple, and for a long time, Jeremiah writes about this. Jeremiah was during the same time, same place. The road to Jerusalem was littered with pagan altars and the burning of human sacrifices as well as animal sacrifices to false gods, dark gods, Baal. Asherah, Dagon, and the like. Then you came to the church, the temple, and it was piled full of rubbish. Nobody worshipped God there anymore. That was a used-to-be church. In there, you would find relics of these old horrid gods that Manasseh had put in there, but all of the, the furniture, the table of showbread, all that stuff, gone. Stripped out. It was dark. It stank. Josiah said, it's time to clean it up. Let's just clean it up, see what we can do. Nobody worshiped God there anymore, by the way, but they did worship God at about every high place all over Israel. Any place where there was high, people would go and try to worship God, but they'd lost the plot, as we would say in Breton. They didn't really know how to anymore. They didn't have any books. The priesthood was basically disbanded. As they're cleaning, they come upon some scraps of paper. Now we think when they found a book, we think of a big scroll, perfect and pristine. It would not have been. It would have been stacks of bits of paper. 
And as they get it, it's not even in the right order. Laying on top is a list of curses God's going to bring Israel if they forget to worship him. And the people are going, uh-oh. And they take it to uh, one of the priests. And the priest says, we'd better take this to the king. And the king takes, looks at it and goes, what do we do with this? And they call a woman who was a prophetess at the time, Hulda, uh, a great woman of God. And she informs him, all right, king, you found a book of the law. We, now think of that. They had lost it. They'd lost the Bible that they had. They had nothing. Now they found some, some bits of it. And she said, it's up to you, since you found it, to clean the temple and restore the worship of God. Well, how do you do that? And so they sort through the papers. Ezra gets involved later. But right then, Baruch, remember Baruch? He was a secretary to Jeremiah. He gets involved. Jeremiah gets involved. And they put together these, these pages and they add stuff to the beginning, they add stuff to the end, they put, it, they, they put together what they know and can remember, and they make a book. The second version of the law is what Deuteronomy really means. The second version. Here's what we've got. This book, Deuteronomy. Not in the form that we would say we have today. It continually was worked on as they put it together. Under the direction of God, God's involved in this process, and it works. We have the, the book. So is Moses the author of the book of Deuteronomy? Yes and no. Think of it. If you, did you read your book? You're supposed to read Deuteronomy this week. Yeah, it's, you have a calendar, and you've got it. You can see the ark, you know, where we're going next. Well, if you read it, did, you, did it ever take you back a bit how many times it said, and Moses stood and said unto them, well, wait a minute, if Moses is writing, why didn't he just said, and I said? Well, it's because there's some editing. Did you notice in chapter 17 that there were extensive rules about how the monarch was supposed to rule? Well, Moses died 200 years before anybody thought about getting a monarch, but by the time they found the book, there was a monarch, and some rules needed to be put in place. And did you notice also that there's that story in Deuteronomy about Moses dying and being buried and they don't know where the body is? Kind of hard to write it if you're Moses. Some people have tried to add, well, well, Joshua wrote that. It doesn't say that ever, anywhere. You don't need God at one time in one room telling one guy what to write down to have a book of scripture. The book of Scripture sometimes unfolds, and Deuteronomy unfolded. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It really is. But you know what the book is? If you had trouble understanding the book as you went through, fine. It's an ancient book written to ancient people about ancient things. It's, it's, it is a little difficult sometimes. I can tell you what it is. If you had parents, this is the speech. This is the, we're about to go to the nice place. Behave. I don't want you to talk. I don't want you to touch anything. I don't want you to act like anything. I want you to stand still or sit would be better. Don't embarrass me. That's what this is. They're about to go into Israel. They've, they've been waiting until the doubters died. We talked about that last week. Now they're ready. They're at the river. Moses is going, I can't go in, but don't embarrass me. Remember who you are. 
Remember whose you are. You know that speech, don't you? Some of you will be given that this afternoon when you go to lunch. I, I know that speech quite well. That's, that's what this speech is. Moses had given them a series of instructions. Those had eventually been written down, and those were what they found in the temple that Josiah was then presented with as the book of the law. Deuteronomy is the remember who you are and where you came from speech. Therefore, it is quite valuable. There are some odd things about it, like we said. Uh, the story of Moses' death and burial couldn't have been written by Moses and the like. But the laws in Deuteronomy do have a lot in common with those found in the first four books, but they're not the same. For example, the laws in the first four books about slavery were quite strict by the time of Deuteronomy that God had, had helped them loosen up those a lot and saying, no, uh, people need to be free. And therefore, the rules on how to release slaves were much more relaxed in the book of Deuteronomy. Some passages in the first four books teaches that God doesn't care for foreigners very much. And in Deuteronomy, some of the passages say that as well. But they also say intermarriage is fine, racism is not. So you're allowed to intermarry with these different races. Ezra, I think, probably had a, a little hiccup when he hit that stage of Deuteronomy because Ezra was not keen on this. But God was. If you remember, when Moses married a black woman, he got criticism from his family, so God attacked his family for criticizing him. And in Deuteronomy, it makes it very plain in law, we don't have those rules. We are all one before God. We don't think in racial terms. There are other things that are just odd. For example, in Exodus chapter 12, and you can look this up if you'd like, Exodus chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, the Passover lamb was to be roasted, not boiled. That was the rule. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 7, it is to be boiled, not roasted. Oh, well, why is the contradiction? It, they'd lost Exodus at that time. And so they're putting it together. They're doing the best they can, and this is very, very important. Some of us came from religions where if you did not do everything exactly right, God wouldn't love you. In the Bible, we see constantly people doing the best they can with what they've got, and God's doing just fine, absolutely fine with it, because that's what they could do. That's the best they could bring. That's the God we serve, not some Thor God of thunder who's ready to kill us if we get a, a verse wrong in the Bible. He's, he's different. So, instead of making my sermon last for the rest of the next year, just allow me to say that all modern scholars believe that Deuteronomy comes from ancient source material that was slowly gathered, put together, and then worked on and edited around the time of Josiah and afterwards. In fact, it's part of a longer body of work called the Deuteronomistic. And there's not, it's hard to say, and Word, uh, Microsoft Word does not believe it is a word. But it is. History. That includes Joshua, Judges, and the books of Samuel and Kings. Three farewell speeches, edited, put together, some new source material. And the whole point is, remember how you got into the mess that kept you in the wilderness and made us have to write the book of Numbers? And don't do that again. Remember what got you in trouble 
and don't do it again. I don't think anybody here has any problem with any sin that you've committed because we've all done horrible wrongs, have we not? All of us. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I've done wrongs, but they weren't horrible. All right, fair enough. Most of, some of us know you did horrible wrongs, you just haven't picked it up. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We understand it. We thank God for his forgiveness. We love one another. However, if you continually do the same mistake time, 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 again and again and again, there's an issue, right? I can, and, and again, we don't mean to be judgmental. It's just you might need a book of Deuteronomy saying, you remember how you got into the mess? Don't do that. Stop that. Don't do that again. I'll never forget, I, I lived in West Virginia for eight years, and um, there was a gun shop there that I, I frequented a lot, and we, I had friends there, and the, the owner was named David. David was a good old country boy, and uh, he, he, I walked in one day and was talking to him, and he goes, well, you're going to congratulate me. And I said, what? what uh, for what? And he said, well, I'm going to get married this weekend. I went, David. The reason is, this would be marriage number four for David. And I said, you know, it'd be a lot more efficient just to find somebody you don't like every 10 years and buy him a house. <clears throat> his hand wandered down toward his firearm. You know, it was uh, it's one of those moments. And I said, uh, David, what, what are you going to do to make sure this one doesn't end as well? And he goes, well, I'm just going to do the best I can. I said, well, that's what you did the other ones as well. I said, there's, there's one common element in all of these broken marriages, and I'm looking at him. Why don't we work on, let's find a way not to create the same mistake again. And we were, we were able to talk about this, because I'm not afraid of dying. Uh, we were able to talk about this. What's a common element in all of my sin? Me. My bad decisions. Every single one of them. I have never sinned because you made a bad decision. It was me. We need the book of Deuteronomy. We need this. I'm telling you again for the last time. That speech. Which, by the way, was never the last time, was it? They always went ahead. By the way, this book didn't work. After Josiah, they started ignoring it. And they got right back into the same trouble. Jeremiah himself would die in Egypt as a refugee not listened to. His own book, the book of Jeremiah, when we get to Jeremiah, we will put out a study guide ahead of time because it's actually pretty fascinating. It's out of order. I mean, literally, this chapter belongs here, this chapter belongs here. But if you read Jeremiah, you know why. It's because when he got it, he presented it, they burned. They didn't like it. They threw it away. Baruch had to gather it and in a cave, try to write it all down again. And when the Jews got it, it was out of order, and they decided not to put it back in order, but to print it as... They didn't print. You get the point. To publish as is. This, this was a mess. They didn't listen. Let that not be said about us and our generation. This book did some things interesting. For the first time, it consolidated all worship of God in the temple. You may not be aware of that if you just read through and didn't really pay that much attention. 
You could worship God at the temple. In fact, you were supposed to for special events, but you didn't have to worship him there all the time. You would worship on the high places. Well, this is the first time everybody's got to come back to the same group. Why? I think Josiah and Jeremiah and Baruch were saying, you know, we're letting them go off on their own and they're messing up. Let's bring them back in. Every so often you have to. I'm a huge fan of cell groups, small groups, house churches, and the like. But every so often, you need to reset and gather in the big group just to make sure, are we still all on the same page? Are we headed the same direction? Is somebody teaching something idiotic and they're able to do it because they're in a smaller group? You need to get into a big group every so often. And by the way, I think churches need to gather with other churches sometimes to make sure we haven't forgotten something. In Detroit, we would often do church um, unity meetings where black and white churches would worship with each other. And every time our church would go to one of these, we'd come back revitalized in worship because we had gotten cold in our worship. And being around our African-American brothers and sisters, we learned, oh, wait, we forgot. We forgot we we're actually supposed to mean the songs. We just sang them. It taught us something. We need to sometimes gather. Well, the book has more involved in that, so let's review. Moses gives a, a series of speeches before the people enter Canaan without him. Those speeches are remembered, at least in part, and written down. Years later, jo Josiah needs a revival, a, a serious reset of Israel. He finds some of Moses' words or uh, some of the, the writings, those are put together with the, the help of Huldah, a, a, a great woman of God called a prophetess in Scripture, and also with probably with Jeremiah and Baruch, maybe with Hilkiah, a priest, later on edited more by Ezra and the like, as they did when they were in um, captivity. They sat back and they looked and said, remember who we are. So what's in it? It's the speech. I'm just going to go through this very quickly. There's no need to drag it out because you're supposed to have read the book. And I think most of you are. You're following along. And it surprises me how many of you are enjoying this. And I'm thinking, uh, at first I thought this is going to be a hard slug. But some of you are really enjoying it. And if, you're, if you really don't enjoy it, don't tell me. Because there goes that bubble burst. You know, and I'll be sad and cry a lot. Because uh, you know me, it's terribly sensitive. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, obedience matters. It does matter. When God says something, do it. Obedience matters. Chapter 4 as well, don't worship things. Now there's, if, if you're looking for a modern application of the book, you don't have to go past chapter 4, do you? Don't worship things. Now I fully plan to get a new phone because mine became slow this week, because a new one's out. <laughs> I do. Now, I'm not going to get that phone if buying that phone means I can't give to the church or to the charities that my wife and I have, uh, have tied ourselves to through the years. It's got to work its way into the program somehow. Also, I'm not going to sleep on a sidewalk for three weeks to get the phone for several reasons. It's a sidewalk. It's hard. Uh, two, as I have a life. 
and, and it's more than phones. So I'm not opposed to the phones, but don't, let, don't worship them. Don't worship a band. Don't worship a house. Don't worship a job. Don't worship your position. Don't worship things. And then God warns them, don't make me a thing. Don't reduce him to a thing that can be controlled and understood and worshipped. He is God. Now, if you're confused about that, remember what happened when Moses went up the mountain to get the law. Down at the bottom, Aaron made them a golden calf. But he wasn't saying, worship a cow. Cows are great. He was saying, this is an image to remind us of the God that brought us out of Egypt. He was just trying to give them something solid to show them God. And God said, no. That's not how we do it. We can build golden calves out of our five steps to salvation, out of our five acts of worship, out of our, uh, our, our little Bible studies, out of our little books that are beholding a pattern or muscle and shoveling. We can decide that we found the pattern that is going to make sure that God likes us and we've built a golden calf. God will never fit in our boxes. He will never fit in our categories. Do not tell God who he likes and who he doesn't. Just worship God. Trust him to sort it all out. In chapter 5, by the way, we're not going to do every chapter like this if you're beginning to do the math and panicking. <laughs> chapter 5, a review of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 6, I love chapter 6. How to pass this on to your children. I am told, I have no way of knowing if this is true but I've heard it from several sources. The thing is, it's really hard to source this, to go back and find out what the, the data was. That China was the most Christian nation on earth. The generation before the communists took it and killed the Christians. And the response of, of Chinese Christians was, we forgot to teach our children. In one generation, everything was lost. Teach your children. How do you do that? Chapter 6 tells you how. You do it along the way. As you're sitting, as you're standing, as you're walking, as you're eating, wherever you are, you pass on the law. To do that, you have to show them the law in your life. I remember once, my wife looked at me and she said, you know, Patrick, your children never see you study the Bible. I got all defensive. I said, studying the Bible is what I do. I'm a minister. She goes, I know, but you always wait until they're, after, they're in bed and then you study. Or you go to the office, then you study. They need to see you study. She was right. She often is. It's a bit annoying, but she is. <laughs> Live out the law in front of your children so that your children see the law in your life. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is. Then you can go to Deuteronomy 7. Don't let others lead you astray. Be careful who you're friends with. Teens, that's the great danger of being a teen, is that we tend to be friends with anybody who will be friends with us. And in one level, that's fantastic because we are to love all people. But just be aware that anybody you're a friend of does have an influence. And so you have to decide how much influence they've got. That's what chapter 7 is. Love others, but don't let them lead you astray. Let's skip to 12. Chapter 12, 
go to church. There you are. I use this illustration quite a bit in youth rallies. We lived in Colorado, and we had lots of rabbits, bunnies, they, you know, wafting over the plains. And every so often you'd open your door, there'd be a bunny. We did not panic. It's just a bunny. But had I opened the door, and there were 10,000 bunnies, I would have slammed the door and gone, bunnies! You, by yourself, are not much. You're a snowflake. Snowflakes are very fragile. But you get enough snowflakes together, they'll stop a bulldozer. Get enough bunnies together, they'll panic a Scotsman. <laughs> the hottest coal in the fireplace will go dark if you separate it from the others. Nobody is so spiritual, they don't need the body. We need to be in the group. Then chapter 15, and also chapters 21 through 25, seek justice, treat others fairly. That's huge, is it not? Love one another, seek justice, treat others fairly and with dignity and with kindness. And then chapter 28 and also chapter 30, this can end well or this can end poorly. It's your choice. You get to choose how this ends. Are you going to be blessed? Are you going to be cursed? It's up to you. Will you listen? Will you obey? Will you stay with the group? Or will you die like your fathers in the desert? That's what Moses is saying. Let's look at a, a scripture as we begin to wrap up our look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you'll live and increase, and the Lord will your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you to this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what's very poignant about this? This was not just a message to the people before they entered, crossed the river, and entered the kingdom. The, the, I'm sorry, the promised land, the new land of Canaan to them. 
this was all put together by Josiah to warn his people, this can happen to us again. And they didn't listen to the book of Deuteronomy. And they disappeared into the midst of time. Lost tribes. Captivity. Gone. They had another chance. I don't know how many chances we get, but I think we ought to take advantage of the chance we've got. Do you know it? Randy Harris likes to sum up Revelation. And by the way, I'm going to start teaching Revelation next week and the, uh, the new connection group that I'm moving to. They keep me moving about because nobody wants me there more than a month, month and a half. You know, so I'm moving into the next one. But Randy Harris sums it up this way. The whole book, God has a team. Satan has a team. God's team wins. Pick a team. I really wish I'd said that, but he did. We choose Jesus. Amen, church? You've got to pick a team. We choose Jesus. Regardless of how hard the way might be before us, we believe that peace is found in the middle of the storm in Jesus. Mark's going to lead us in that song in just a moment. But as he comes up to lead us, I want all of us to stand. And I want us, with the ancient people of Israel, to say the Shema, the prayer of the Israelites that they pray every day. They would say, Shema Israel, Adonachinu, Adonachad. You don't have to. <clears throat> say this with me. We're going to do it twice. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. May it be so. God bless.